So I've been reading Buddhism again, uh, you know, some Buddhism literature. Now I would look up the person that I was reading. I don't know. It's some American guy who's like some sort of Zen Buddhist, like, um, uh, I don't know, priest. I'm not familiar with the stuff. It's great writing. Every time I read like a book about Buddhism, I'm just like, I feel really good, right? Like it, it must be what it's like if, if, if someone who has like whatever religion you might have reads some of the classics and it's just like restorative each day to read it. Who's really into like the Stoics and they're filling out their daily Stoic diary and they're writing about it and they're reading it. The, you got the Seneca, you got the, uh, is it Epicurus? No, Epicurus is the wrong one. It's some Epicetus, I think. And then you got the uh, Mark, not Mark Anthony. He's the one who killed uh, Caesar. You got the um, Aurelius, Marcus Aurelius. All the greats in Stoicism, right? Like, if you're a Stoic type of person, you read that. It's so restorative. So I enjoy reading uh, Buddhist stuff. It's, it, I forget his name, but he, he, uh, he said he's from, like, Minneapolis. And uh, someone probably knows him. Anyhow, so I was reading through it. And as, as always occurs when I'm reading uh, sort of Buddhist thought, which, again, I want to emphasize, I enjoy. I, I get about halfway through, and I'm like, huh, this sounds cool. But, like, what do you do when you got to change, like, a diaper that has exploded with poop? And, and, and it draws me back to this thing that I've thought for many years, which is, like, I don't think the Buddha had children. And so I went and searched for it, right? And I searched for, did the Buddha have children? Now, I only did about 10 minutes worth of searching. So I may be wrong, and I have not been in a Zen or otherwise monastery for 30 years and kind of like hung out with the Zen masters and their koans or the not Zen masters or whoever. Um, and I prefaced all of this to say, like, I mean no insults, right? But I went and did a search, and I think there are two theories about the Buddha or Siddhartha, what's his name? I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, with, this starts with a G, but the Siddhartha guy. One theory is that, no, he had no kids, right? Like, he was born a prince. He, uh, like was isolated from the world and suddenly he was exposed to someone who had suffering and he was like, what the fuck? And so he left all of his like worldly belongings and all this stuff and he went out. I mean, this is like 3000 years ago. I wasn't there. So I'm relying on what the internet is telling me. Um, and you know, he sat down beneath the Bodhi tree and became enlightened, eightfold path, all these sorts of things, you know, whatever. Again, all fantastic. I love it. Right. Um, but in that version of the story, he has no kids. Right. He, and I don't think he ever has kids. I don't know. So he doesn't have to, like, <clears throat> deal with that. Now, there's another version of the story that I came across, which is that he actually did have and uh, he had at least one kid. And he just was like, uh, I got to go get some cigarettes. And he just like left. <laughs> he just and left. he just uh -huh. kind of like left them there. And so, he, again, then the story picks up. He sits underneath the tree, he becomes enlightened, he figures out the eightfold path to awesomeness or whatever. But I'm pretty sure that the Buddha did not have kids, whether biologically or by getting a pack of cigarettes or whatever, like no kids, right? And so like, I feel like this, I think if you're a con pause there. Why, why is that? Why, why, does, why are you so supremely confident the Buddha had no children? I mean, I guess the obvious implication is like, if he had children, he wouldn't be as peaceful or he wouldn't have the philosophy exactly. or the, it just, I've, he just I've, I mean, in a parental way. I, I feel like if, if you sit down as I have for, let's say since maybe I was 19, every now and then you sit down and you're like, I like where this is going. I enjoy this Buddhism thing. I like the end result, right? Like it, you know, my right. analogy is always flossing, right? Like I like the end result of flossing Maybe not so much the act of having to floss multiple times a day, but I like okay. the outcome, as we would say in enterprise software marketing, right? And so mm -hmm. I, I delve into it. I look into it. I'm like, how could I get that outcome? So I'm reading about like how I should meditate, how I should realize that, uh, you know, like there's this great modification on Heraclitus, like, uh, you know, life is a river that Buddhism has. That's like even beyond Heraclitus, right? Like so much more intelligent than Heraclitus is that everything is change and flow. And once you realize that you sort of like can depart from the stress of everyday life, right? You're just like, I don't know. I'm just here. And even right. I am not here. I am not I, right? And you're like, God damn it. That sounds so nice. It's like that moment right before you fall asleep where it's total peacefulness, right? Okay. And, and then I think like, oh, I got to put the kids to bed. And also like i need to help them with their homework 
And, um, I mean, did we get enough bread for their sandwiches tomorrow? And, oh, no, the baby woke up and, like, this and that and the other. And you're kind of like, I don't have time to sit underneath a fucking Bodhisattva tree, right? Like, I got shit going on. And so, like, if I didn't have this shit going on, it'd be totally cool. I'd be out there on the street smoking a cigarette from this pack that I just bought. It'd be awesome, right? And so, like, I feel like a lot of history would be different if the Buddha had kids. Software Defined Talk is brought to you by Teleport. Every hack follows the same problem. First, hackers exploit a human error, like a leak key or a secret left in code. They gain a foothold and then pivot, moving from one compromised system to the next. Sound familiar? Teleport breaks this cycle. Open source Teleport gives every engineer, every piece of hardware, every application an identity. Replacing secrets like password and keys with auto-expiring identity-based certificates, the Teleport platform reduces the opportunity for human error, increasing productivity, and revolutionizing security and compliance. Learn why the most valuable visionary businesses in the world choose Teleport at goteleport.com. And of course, we thank Teleport for sponsoring our show. So speaking of achieving enlightenment and the right path, right think, and right all the other stuff uh, in life, I, was, uh, I came across, uh, there's a story in the New York Times about how, I think the title is something like, The Monsters of Work Want Everyone to Return to the Office. <laughs> And and so I was reading this, and like you know I actually uh-huh. it, it it took about the third time for me to be like, all right, fuck, I'll read this right and and go through it. <laughs> and as I was going through it, I mean the the, the premise is is what everyone would be familiar with is that um, now that we're not going to uh, die by being around other people or cause other people to die, whatever, um, it might be cool. Some people think, though, some people being management that we should return to the office and return to working. Yep. And yep. so I was reading through this and, and like, I think, I think the article in the New York times was, I mean, obviously the person writing it was against remote work, right? Like, so you can pick that up, but like, I don't know that kind of analysis where you try to figure out the bias of someone and like, therefore what they write is like distracting from like, yes, but what do you actually think about the content that they're writing about? But it got me thinking that, so what is, and I should say, I'm extremely biased. I have remote worked since 2011. And right. So it's a way of life for you at this point. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Maybe for, like, it's kind of all yeah, you yeah. remember in some ways. Yeah, and, and, and uh, to emphasize that, before that, that was only a two-year blip where I actually had remote worked since 2005, right? Like, yeah. so whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> but I was reading through this piece and I was thinking like, okay, so let's analyze this. And... What is the advantage of being in the office from a management perspective, right? Like, why would a manager and and like an executive, let's say, want people to be back in the office? And so, first of all, if you think that there's a team of people that I work with, right, and we will work better and enjoy our life and have better work results and be more efficient at making the organization more money or accomplishing the mission if you're nonprofit— if we are in person, great, you should do that, right? Like, I have no argument against that at all, right? Like, that's no problem. However, I think when it comes, and, and let me narrow this down very specifically, when it comes to white-collar knowledge work, right? Right. I think yeah. there is a tremendous amount of white-collar work that does not need to be done in person. And it's not so much that, like, the work doesn't need to be done in person. What I, what I wanted to write, what I wrote about in response to this is that I almost think that if you're doing knowledge, white collar work, when you are in an office for a set amount of time, nine to five, which actually, so let's just stick to nine to five, right? And, and remind me, Brandon, Brandon, to get back to the commuting and all the time you spend going to lunch yep. and all the extra time, right? But let's yep. assume nine to five, if you're a white collar, a white collar worker, what you end up, my, my whole theory is that what you end up doing is you come up with reasons to fill that time rather than reasons to uh, do the mm, minimal viable work, right? right. So, like, so I think it, a lot of people call this like busy work, right? There's like a lot of busy exactly, work that's exactly. to fill the time. Uh-huh. Now, now, the bias becomes that if you are a manager, an executive who is determining that these people should come back to work, right? They need to be in the office, right? As 
I'm just going to say executive here, right? Like as an executive, your your whole job, the your whole existence in that 9 to 5. And let's be let's let's be real. Like as an executive, you probably work 10 to 12 hours a day, sometimes 16 hours as required, right? Like that's just how executives function. So an executive is working quote unquote all the time, right? Like they're constantly thinking about their job. There's a huge identity of what they, uh, of themselves, right? A huge part of their identity. So to them, every minute, maybe not every minute, every hour they're spending at work is valuable. And so they have this bias that like, when I'm at work, shit is happening, right? Like it's right. very important. And, and then yep. the other thing is that the, the tens, the hundreds, in some cases of gigantic banks and maybe, uh, governments and military agency like militaries like thousands of people are basically flowing up into that one executive who is like driving being in a meeting like having a bunch of decisions that they're making right and so their view is that like i am it's not that they're important i'm 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 trying not to be judgmental but they are given a lot of power right and so the decisions that those executives make determine a lot of important things and so to them, like having people in a room, uh, talking with them, having like the kind of social interactions, that kind of high bandwidth right. thing, like it seems like every hour is like high ROI. Now, I think what they miss is that all of the people underneath them are more or less just like spending time doing a bunch of bullshit, right? Like. They're sort of like, they've got to have a meeting to have the meeting. They've got to like go to the cafeteria to get lunch. They like run into someone and then they spend an hour talking right. with do them about things. Do their expense reports, do their training. Right, they got to do their expense their, reports. They got to do this. And so like, budget. Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and so the problem is that like an executive who has done so well, who is so confident at their job, who is, and I do not mean this sarcastically at all, who is like so important, who is like a big brain, like, you can say what you want about like McNamara, like he killed however many millions of people and all this sort of stuff. But like, I'm pretty sure he was fucking competent, right? All yeah, sorts no, of other people. Smart, or, very smart person. Or, or, or like, um, uh, like it, anyone else you want to like, like they are interesting people who make things happen, right? But what they don't appreciate is that like a lot of the people underneath them, like maybe don't need to work so much, right? Like, and also not so much that they don't need to work so much. But that a lot of their time is not spent efficiently and right. that it like also couldn't be spent efficiently. Right. Like they don't there's not really much that needs to happen. Right. And so like <laughs> this idea that you need to return to the office because I don't even know, because like you're going to spend your time more efficiently or you're not going to like, you know, cheat and only work seven hours a day because like you folded the laundry for like 30 minutes and like you also just sort of like you know watched uh, the current episode of Obi Wan Kenobi for like thirty minutes during lunch, like that that's some sort of fucking travesty that's going to destroy the world. Like that doesn't actually exist. Like if all these executives are so fucking important, like they're the ones who should be working all the time, right? And their support yeah. staff, like actually, like mm, not such a big deal. All the support staff has to do is be like, I don't know, you got options. What do you want from me, right? Like. You don't have to do this. And then even like, so I, I just want to build on your, I just want to throw something out. I want to build on your idea here a little bit. Cause I was, as mm -hmm. I read your piece, I was thinking about it. And I think, you know, the proxy conversation that we're kind of having is that remote work, I think is sort of opening up the question around, does everybody understand at what level work is really happening and what work at each level is? Being oh yeah. And I think oh, that's the good. study that could be done here would be what is, what does a workday look like for a CEO? What does a workday look like for an executive? What does exactly. a workday look like for a founder? What does a workday look like for a middle manager? And finally, what does workday look like for a individual contributor? And I think that's really where the missing conversation here, right? Because yep. I think what people don't get is like, to your point, if you are at the highest levels, like almost like the president, most of your work is deeply engaging it is people briefing you, making you know important decisions, and you contemplating big decisions, all the things that you outlined. I think if we all did that, that would be a very intellectually challenging day every day, and we would all achieve like fluff. It would be your like, life, would, right? Like we would, it, it, we it would, would be fantastic. Uh, right. You would, would become be a bodhisattva of the white collar. <laughs> right. And we'd all have that. You know, we've all been in flow at different points where it's like, you know, you get so engrossed in working on something. Time is flying by. 
you're, you really enjoy it. It's, it's and things like that. But we all know, I think having worked at different levels that that's not the way it works. Right. And then of course we also need to factor in incentives, right? When mm, you're at the highest yes. level and you're potentially making at the highest levels, you're potentially making hundreds of millions, right? The next level, maybe it's just millions or tens of millions. And then we get, start to get down to hundreds of thousands. And then maybe just, you know, kind of much lower than that is yep. like, so if you just think, if, but if we just take that, that triangle, that pyramid, we say most of my day of, at the highest level is I have a chance to make hundreds of millions of dollars and my day is filled of very intellectually stimulating activities and big decisions. I can understand why you'd be like, yeah, let's get back in that office because that's what I want to do versus yeah. just pick anyone at an individual contributor level who comes to work um, and is reporting to somebody, doesn't always know what they're going to be asked to do that day. You know, and I think maybe the, the best example, because we talk about it, would be like the investment banker analyst role. They just show up every day. They know they're going to have to do PowerPoints. They're not sure why or which ones or why it's all important, but they know they're going to have to grind out PowerPoints all night long. And uh, now, of course, they kind of know eventually. And I think we all know, understand that if we work hard as individual contributors, and maybe eventually we can move up, but that's not guaranteed mm. either, right? Um, but I think that yeah. idea is just, People don't really think that through. So I think if people thought about that and said, okay, if I'm an executive, like I'm Tim Cook, right? You know, and I'm making, I'm worth a billion dollars and, you know, I'm running the world's largest company that my job is fundamentally different than the person maybe that just joined Apple, like right out of college, right? Or the Apple, Apple technician, right? Somebody that's just working in the Apple store and that's fixing your iPhone, right? It's totally different. The idea is completely different, right? And and I think that's the missing conversation. I think remote work is a proxy for that. And I think, you know, it's kind of just round out my, my thoughts here is that like, I think if executives spent more time thinking about, hey, why is it people don't want to come back to the office? I, I think you should start with like, what are we asking these people to do? You know, nine to five, right? Exactly. And if I were doing that every day, would I, would I prefer to maybe do a lot of this at home? Like if I, if, and, you know, to kind of put a, a point on it, it's like, maybe I've got like one collaborative meeting a day that I think is like really intellectually challenging, followed by a lot of administrative and other, maybe, you know, to your point, like busy work tasks. Like, you know, it really feels like if that's the case, I can do most of this from home and I can like sacrifice a tiny bit of collaboration. I no, exactly. I, I, and as you say, the incentives for executives for management are completely different than the incentives for the uh workers like middle, middle management and below right and so this is the other thing that i was thinking is like okay so let's i mean as always this is sort of like some absurd like whiteboarding right but let's assume that like um over the next year if everyone returns to the office right uh we are going to become as a company so much more productive that we are going to make half a million dollars more or euros, whatever, right? right? So as a company of, I don't know, 10,000 people, right? We're going to make half a million dollars more, which for like, you know, quarter by quarter, like as a, I mean, that's great, right? Like more money, always awesome. I mean, let's even say you're going to make a million dollars more for over the right. next year if we return to the office. Now, you've got this huge company, and so... Let's think about that. So our goal is to increase, like normally we're going to have great growth. We're going to have like, let's say you're in, you're not, you know, maybe in cardboard manufacturing or retail. So you're expecting like 10% growth year over year. But this year, like if people return to the office, you're going to have 12% growth, right? And so, of course, as the executives, you're going to want 12% over 10% because that's awesome. Now, the executives, they're going to see that and say, like, if we get 12% instead of 10%, because we get so, because we have so much equity, because we, our bonuses are set so much uh, based on how much like, uh, growth that we have, we are going to profit. Whereas as, as an indivi individual contributor, you're going to be like, so, hmm, so the executives are going to take like 80% of the growth that, that we get. Right. And then after the executives, there's maybe like, Mm, well, it's not IBM, so there's only like 50 executives. So, <laughs> like, they're going to take 80% of the growth, and then that leaves, I don't know, if we're like a 2,000-person um, a company, that leaves 1,000, uh, what was it, 1,000 
800 and however many that is, right? I can't do math this fast. And so let's assume that we do the totally like equal thing. We take the the remainder of that 80%, I mean, mean the remainder, the 20%, and we divide it evenly across all the employees. And that's the money that we get at the end of this 12 months where we stopped working from home. And I think I don't have a spreadsheet in front of me, but I think that's probably not much money. Right. Like you're actually not like your take home is not going to be that much now further. Now, no individual is going to think like this unless they were forced to work in corporate strategy for a while. (laughs) They're going to think like, all right, let me calculate the net, the the NPV, the net present value. Let me calculate like the the value of money today versus the value of money in the future. And then let me discount it versus like that may actually not happen. Right. So like six months in, six months into this one year thing, it might actually go the reverse. And I might might actually get like laid off because of the speculative thing that we're doing. And you find out and then you have to pay taxes. And if you're a white collar worker, you probably pay, let's say, 30 to 40 percent taxes, depending on your level. So you can knock that off. And then you're also going to be contributing. um, Let's see, most 401ks or you can contribute like 8,000 a year and then employers might match that. So you're up to like 10,000. So you're going to like knock that off and you got to pay this, that and the other, blah, blah, blah. And so at the end of the day, if you're an individual contributor and you have brought in a million dollars extra because you're not working from home for that year, you're kind of like, so I could buy some AirPod Pros? And, and, yeah, and like, I think your broad point is just, I mean, I think most people when given, if they were given this trade off, right, they would, it's not, the additional money is is not worth the additional time, right? Spent commuting and not in the flexibility. Right, right, right. right. Because simple. meanwhile, they're like, right. I got fucking laundry to do, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. It, it's, I would rather do that than, than. Yeah, uh, and I think, and I think you're hitting on it. I think, you know, you asked a lot of questions there that were good and some of them are kind of probably impossible to answer. But, you know, starting with just the one before, it's like, you know, I think most of the people, executives want to do it just because that's the way that's always been done before. And of course, the executives that are running these companies have been rewarded for working in companies where people are in the office, right? So it's it's not surprising that their bias would be able to do that. But the question you're asking there is like, can they quantify? Okay, to your point, like, can anyone quantify? Okay, what is it like to be in the office versus not? Like, we only have this one, you know, uh, data point for unfortunate reasons, but we all do know it's like, well, a lot of businesses, some businesses did well during you know, this work from home era, probably for lots of reasons, not just because of work from home for lots of other reasons. But I think that net effect of like going back in the office, can we quantify like really what is lost? And, and to your point, and I think, and I think, but I think more importantly, and this is where I kind of always come back to is like, you know, what this reveals is I think a fundamental lack of understanding from the top to bottom of what those jobs Mm. are really like at each level. And then to just take it one step further, to also understand, like, what are the outside commitments um, that people have in these rel- other jobs? Like, if you read, I think I'm recommending mm. that book after Steve, like, you know, about Tim Cook. And it's like, you know, it says, like, Tim Cook, moved, when he got the job at Apple, he just moved out. He was w- very well paid, but he just got an apartment close to the office. He uh, does not have any children. He worked, you know gets up at 5 a.m. He checks the stats. Like they always say, like he checks the revenue figures every day at 5 a.m. He goes in the meeting. They joke that like uh, date night with uh, Tim Cook because he just didn't have anything to do on Friday night. So he would just be running operation meetings late into the evening because it's like that's what he wants to do. And so, you know, his entire life, both because he has the funds as well as he's sort of set. And I'm not even judging. I'm just like he's made the choice to do that. Right. Because I think right, right. that's what he's chosen to do. It's like he really doesn't have a lot of outside commitments. And I think if he did have them, those that he has, I think he could probably pay someone to take care of everything, right? Like, I don't think Tim Cook has to meet the plumber at home. I don't think Tim Cook, you know, I don't think yeah, he has to do yeah. kind of like the day-to-day stuff, right? And he's certainly um, not worried about those things. Whereas an individual contributor, maybe their new parent, you know, they got to get their kids to school. Like, you know, you and I talk about time. It's like logistics, right? It's like someone's got to get the kids to school. Someone's got to pick them up. We got to get them made lunch. Follow the homework, right? And then, so I just think sometimes, like, if you don't have all these additional help, right, you know, going on, that like that's a whole other thing that I think people miss out on. And so again, it's like I'm, I don't, I don't want to ever come across as complaining. I don't think it's like, hey, we all make choices, and this is what we want to do. But I think this work from home is a chance for us to really like reevaluate: do we understand what's being asked at each one of these jobs, and do we understand the incentives? And if people really want to stay home, maybe we should start thinking about that: either change the job or change the incentives. 
I, I mean, I think, I think to put it another way, I agree with everything you said, is that like when you study lions, what you learn is that like, sure, the male lion is majestic, fucking fantastic. They'll like fight over territory. But you know who goes out and gets the goddamn food that feeds the, the tribe or the pride or whatever is the, the lionesses. The female lions are the ones who hunt that shit down and act as a team and like feed things and take care of the kids. And the male lions just sit there and like look pretty. Right. And so like, yeah, sure. You got to have a male lion who's going to like do the cool stuff. You got to have a Buddha who's going to be all like, hey, man, fucking enlightenment or whatever. And meanwhile, all the lionesses are out there like, I got to get this food. I got to hunt down these fucking weaklings from the antelopes. (laughs) I got to like give birth to these kids. Like I got to make sure everyone eats and someone's got to like be the individual contributor, the lioness who actually like makes everything run. And like, similarly, it's sort of like, you know, maybe I don't know how lions think, but maybe the male lion is like, I got your back, right? Like if some shit comes down, I am going to go sacrifice myself and totally like take care of stuff for you. And that is my job. I'm like the soldier here. But, like, I feel like maybe that kind of thinking hasn't really, like, gotten into the corporate world, right? Where we value the lionesses over, not over, but we equally value them. And we think, like, I don't know, maybe the lionesses should just be able to, like, sit in the cave and fucking take a load off, right? Yeah. And, and, and maybe to the point that maybe as we wrap this subject up, I think the final thing we should probably talk about is this, like, you know, some of the things that just jumped out. And we don't have to go into depth around, like, just in the news this week. It's like, okay, so we know there's this financial um uh, slowdown happening, right? And so, you know, you had Coinbase, right? Had extended offers to people and we're starting to rescind them, right? So they, so these are probably more like on the individual contributor level, right? Kinds of things. Um, you know, essentially Elon Musk has decided, you know, if you don't come back, you're going to get fired, right? Um, mm, exactly. It's also been reported that Tesla was like uh, monitoring people at work, which is, pretty, you know, fairly popular, like lots of companies monitoring people at work. So, so I just think like, think about if you're not at the executive level, like, this is what you're facing, right? I'm just like, I'm just, and I'm not even picking on those companies. I'm just throwing out things I just read in the news this week. And I'm just saying, as someone that's an individual contributor, middle management, like, this is what you're trying to deal with, right? It's like, I'm being monitored at work. I've, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen on the hiring front. Uh, maybe I have some unsureness about my career. And it's like, that's just a totally different perspective than like, I'm sitting on life-changing money and, you know, and I'm the one making these decisions, right? You can kind of see how people would make different choices. So, so I just invite, I guess I just invite uh, everyone to think about it and, and just to maybe give us hope, right? Give us a little bit of hope is just to say that, you know, a Ford, you know, of uh, a Henry Ford, of course, right? You know, because he's often put out as like, you know, the great capitalist, right? He was one of the f- first people to actually like institute a 40 hour work where you can give people time off. And I think if you look within his factory, I think he did that by like really, being very specific about what he wanted people to do during a specific set of time. And when that was done, everyone could go home and have fun. Right. And he still made a tremendous amount of money. So it just shows you like there are people that in the past who have thought about it and they have done it. And not everybody is just sort of like reading the same bias fraction, work 80 hours a week. Like here was somebody that made tremendous amount of money that thought a little bit different. So hopefully I really hope you know, this, this is a time to think beyond remote work, work, but just think about all of this together, more general work-life balance. So what you're talking about there is systems thinking. Like, like I think, I think uh, you, you look at the system that's running a thing and you optimize the system as a whole instead of just the executive or just the worker. And there is nothing better in our industry, Brandon, uh, uh, when it comes to systems thinking than continuous delivery, CICD. Now, I don't want to get distracted because I feel like I could talk for three hours about my feelings about why we talk about continuous delivery versus continuous deployment and how I could not give less fucks about the distinction between them. (laughs) However, there was a survey that came out, the state of continuous delivery, which I have not uh, spent a lot of time thinking about. Now, as you know, and as maybe some listeners know, I totally enjoy the uh, the State of Agile survey that has come out for 13 years, and they're uh, sort of like surveying about how many people are doing continuous integration versus continuous delivery or deployment. I'm not really sure. But <laughs> I, I'm relying on you, Brandon, to, to tell me what is in the current state of continuous delivery, because I feel like this is maybe the second, third year. Like, it's a pretty fresh new survey, right? But what have they found in that survey? 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, not surprisingly, I think the net net of the survey is if you're doing continuous delivery, you're, you know, essentially being more successful. But a couple things jumped out at me. And I think, you know, one of probably the main report I want to show or talk about is basically the observation they make here is DevOps practitioners are using even more technologies now than in uh, the past, basically, Mm. since last time they did it. And that's probably the thing that is kind of most surprising is like, I think they've got about 15, 20 different types of tools on here. So when you think about doing continuous delivery, you know, we always talk about the tool chain, but really what it comes down to is like, how many different tools are you using and are you using them effectively? So like, like, like what does it take mm -hmm. to have this outcome? Right? Like, yeah. Like what? Yeah. And I think when you look at it and then, and you really think about what they're trying to say here is that to be really good, you know, you essentially want to be, you know, if you will, doing something in each one of these areas. But when you look at it like end-to-end, you're like, that's uh, a tremendous amount of work. Now, the one thing that they did point out in this survey that I thought was interesting is that they said, uh, quote, those using containers are twice as likely to have lead times of less than one day compared to those not working with mm. container technologies. Likewise, Kubernetes users are, o- are one-third more likely to be top performers than those who do not use the technology. So... I don't know. I mean, I think they, that's sort of like an implicit plug for like, okay, well, if I'm using containers and Kubernetes, like that will make me successful. I do think though, this one, a lot of selection bias, right? Like if you're already in a company that's embraced all of this technology, you probably were going to be successful doing continuous delivery, even if I gave you some old tools, right? So, Mm. you know, I don't know. That's always one of those things I think is kind of interesting around containers. Like we kind of, we think of them as a solution for lots of things, but I think sometimes they're just used by a group of people that are very passionate about continuous delivery. Like, what are your thoughts, Kote? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think over the years, what I've noticed is that the the issue, like, like, like the way of focusing on it is to say how many people in your organization are like around this cycle of uh, delivering your software frequently, right? Because to, to your point, depending on who you ask, they would say like, oh, I do CICD, right? Like, but that might only be in like their little portion of the delivery process, right? So the real question I think to ask is, I mean, it's good to ask if you're doing continuous delivery or CI or whatever, but I think the most important question to ask is, yes, but how frequently do you, do you uh, actually deploy your software, Right, like, right. Which, in some ways, is like, the only measurement of this, right? It's like how frequently right, right, do you do right. it. Now, obviously, you could game that by just like putting out like lots of small little bug fixes, but even that would probably be still good, right? You know, but it's, you know, I guess you could say like meaningful de- um, deployments, but still, I think it's 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 probably the only thing that's the only, I guess, the easiest. It's like revenue. It's like the shortcut. Like if you know you're in an organization that's deploying multiple times a day, that's going to be a lot healthier than one that does it like once every six months. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so 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 let me play out just for fun a um what would you call it the um what's the term for like they they always talk about this in zombie movies but like in they they say in zombie movies that the Israeli government has like the eleventh man or eleventh yeah. person uh-huh. as, we, as we would say so let me do the eleventh person thing which is well maybe technology is actually very difficult like everyone says technology is easy. It's the culture that's right. hard. But perhaps it is the case why you would see people uh, saying in the survey that they use a whole bunch of different technologies is because, like, I don't know, computers are hard. And so, like, <laughs> if you do want to deploy software frequently on a daily basis or a weekly basis, maybe you actually do have to use a whole bunch of different things, right? And so the fact that the survey says that people are using a lot of stuff right? Like it seems like chaos and complexity, like maybe it's hard, right? Like to get to this point where you can actually deploy a lot of things. So like you have to depend on all these different tools. And then if you throw in the fact that, um, you know, everyone's afraid to lock in and they don't want to use just one tool or whatever, right? That like, obviously you're going to have a proliferation of tools. So like, of course, there's going to be a bunch of different things and it's difficult and it's hard. And so if you actually want to get to the point where you can defeat the zombies, which is to say, deploy the software frequently, then, uh, yeah, it's going to be difficult. All right, but let's dive in. I think what's surprising here about on the tools is, I don't know the exact phrasing of the question, but I think it's something along this, like, 
what DevOps technologies have you used in the past 12 months? It looks like the sample size here was 13,205. So that's pretty decent, right? Even if we think it's not a perfect survey, that's still a lot of people. So the top three that people have used is source control, issue tracking, mm -hmm. and application monitoring. Not a huge surprise. What is surprising is the percentage. So source control is the thing that's used the most, but only 41% said that they used it in the last 12 months. So, so it just, you know, if you do the math there, I mean, and this that, is some people are asking that about is this odd. Slack. It's like, does it really mean 59% aren't using source control? Aren't using, I mean, some of these other ones you can see where you wouldn't get, you can get around it. But source control, like you would think, you know, high 85, nine, like I want to say 95%, but maybe that's too, a little too great. So, so the to, fact to, that it's not 80% is scary. I, I, I think to the point that you're making, right? So if I remember, this is done by slash data. Uh, and right. I think nothing against them, right? But I, I kind of like, I remember when I started reading CNCF surveys, I went to go look them up and it's fine. Like I participate in a lot of these surveys, but I think that if, if you are doing a survey like this and the result was one of the top line things, I mean, literally the top line things was that, uh, help me with the math here, Brandon. If, if, if the result was that, uh, let's see let's see 100 minus 40 is 60 so 59 percent yep. of your of your respondents are not using source control management right i think what you would do is say let's go talk to those people and and see what the <laughs> fuck is going on there right because yeah. that to your point is madness right that's almost like saying i i, I mean to get a little political here that's almost like saying uh, fifty-one percent of the people we talked with do not believe in evolution, right? <laughs> and so, like, maybe we should go out there and get like that guy at the Atlantic who does these kind of articles. Let's like, and and what? Hold, hold on, let's get the Klosterman. Let's give him a rental car. Back when he wrote that first novel about like uh, metal music and Fargo, we're going to give him a rental car for three months. Figure that shit out, right? Like send out Klosterman to go find those 51% of the people and be like, are you really not using source control? And kind of like he can mix in maybe 30% of his personal history and girls that he tried to sleep with in high school, but like figure out what the fuck is going on there. Right. And that, that is like, I, I mean, I agree with you. I see these surveys over and over again. And that is the only survey I think that matters is like, who are these 51% of people and what are they doing? Right. Yeah. Like, so it's actually that would be you know, extremely just, valuable just to say it's actually, you know, to your point, just I know you said earlier, but 59 percent, not 51. And I think 59. There the, you go. Yes. And the, the thing about this is like, you know, forget about um, continuous delivery or anything like that. It's like if you're not using source control, I mean, you're basically I mean, it's as close to chaos as you can have. I guess you could just literally have one set of files sitting on a server that everyone just you know, accesses. And so, but it, and that's why I think. And, and so and, and also, too, we should just throw it out there. If anyone from Slash Data. Uh, who did this survey wants to come on and explain it. Maybe we're reading it wrong. I don't know. I mean, we try to read it as best we can. I, we think, I think we know how to interpret this data, but maybe we're just totally missing it because like that to me almost invalidates this whole thing. Cause the other stuff is like, okay, you're not using issue tracking. That's fine. There's a pretty easy workaround for that. That would just be send email, right? Application monitoring. Okay. You're probably just reading your log files and like not doing anything proactively again, not good, but you know, you can see where like there's some, some amount of like, continuous delivery could still happen. And, and then you kind of drop down the stuff that's, you know, if you will, at the very bottom of this list and at the, the, is feature flags. So that's essentially only 12% people are. So that's not surprising. I think that's the concept that's been around for a while, but very few people are actually Absolutely. Uh, doing that's it. Extremely and then, hard to do that. Yeah. So that one, I don't, I'm not surprised to it. And then of course, if you're not using search control, uh, sorry, source control, then the artifact repositories are the second lowest, only at 19%. Well, that makes sense. Like if most people aren't using search, source control, then they certainly aren't going to worry about an artifact repository, right? Cause that was sort of like would yeah, build on yeah. it. And then finally incident management, same kind of thing. Now that one, again, like only 20% doing it again, it's again, not good, but like you could see where probably people just end up doing a bunch of email for that, which is fine. Right. So, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's one of these things as we kind of talk about all the time, right? It's like, if this is accurate, if this data is what it is, like, man, we have a long way to go. And everyone, you know, giving like the, uh, I can't remember the feature flag project, um, I think Canary or something. I can't remember what it's called, but like, you know, you can kind of see like, that's a group of a very tiny group of people 
that are even interested enough to go do that. And that's like, mm. you're at the highest levels of software development. You're doing it, but really the vast majority of these people clearly need some just basic, here's why you need to do source control. But again, like I, I'll just kind of end on that. Like maybe the state is just wrong, but you know, it's, it's, it certainly just leaves a lot of questions out there. Well, 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 let me, before we move to the next thing, let me do some sort of Machiavellian like marketing, like Machiavellian tech marketing here. You could also take the survey and be like, Hey, friends that I'm talking with, look at this survey. Uh, so many other people that you're competing with are totally fucked up. If you could just put in the work <laughs> to do f- feature flags, you would be so above and beyond them, right? Like everyone yeah. else is just like, they don't know what they're doing. They don't even use version control. And so like anything that you do, any money that you spend on us, any way that you transform yourselves, any effort you put into that will have such a huge magnitude of improvement that it's totally worth it. Which maybe, I don't know, you could, maybe you could use that as an argument of why you should go back to work, back to the office, right? Like maybe everyone <laughs> yeah. else is just sort of languishing, folding their laundry, chilling, relaxing, not worrying about the growth. So that if you actually get your people to come in and focus on that growth, they will be so many magnitudes above all the competitors who don't have version control and actually have all the clothes put up in their drawers every day that you will make tons of money and uh, be able to retire and not have to think of it like this ever again. Well, I do think, you know, just the callback to the earlier topic, I do think it's, you know, if you're trying to make the case uh, for not going back to the office, I think you could probably grab somebody and listen, we can either all go back to the office or we can all start using uh, source control. Which do you think is going to be more valuable? Like you could probably mm. just pick pick the thing you're not doing on this list and be like, hey, what if we just did that? Because that would, I would take source control over working in the office yes. any day of the week, right? I'd be like, yeah, that's going to pay off uh, in, in spades. That's good. That's that's what people should ask is like, so you want me to come back to the office? Are we doing version control? <laughs> like and and like let's prioritize about what's important here. <laughs> like what's really important. So so before we close out, now I then I know that you pay very close attention to uh uh like Apple keynotes, all the keynotes out there, Brandon. I want you to give me some of the like like you know me. We we've known each other for a long time. And I know that Apple had their uh, WWDC, which means that like by Halloween, I'll get to enjoy things they've announced. I don't quite know right. what the timeline is. Yeah. And but Matt like, Ray will enjoy it just in a year and a half from now. Matt Ray will upgrade to this latest one. He just upgraded <laughs> to the other one. Exactly. So, so yeah, so think about that. He's 18 months away from seeing any of these features. So so what what do you think are some of the features that were announced that is going to like change my life, is going to make things better for me, Brandon? All right. Well, the, here's the ones I'm, I'm going to give you. Uh, the ones I like the most. I don't know if they're going to change your life, but I think so. I, I like the best. One was pass keys, which we've talked about extensively. That's the FIDO thing, right? So, hey, this could for once and for all actually make yourself secure. And this is no surprise Apple announced it, but they're just putting a nice UI on it. And I'm excited to see their implementation. Uh, and we can, you know, potentially either get rid of one password or we can at least kind of have an augmented version of that. So that one very much. Mm-hmm enterprise very much one i like now the one that i think you'll decide if it changes your life but apple um just like enterprises discover uh if you build enterprise software eventually you discover like oh we need to have some type of roles and permissions apple has the same problem they just now discovered people have families right and they're slowly implementing features (laughs) that support families right which is like um you know things like uh sharing subscription things like this but the one they're introducing is a family photo album. So everybody in the family oh. can put photos of of the family, all the pictures you take of your children and your loved ones and all the vacations, you can put them in one family album that everybody has access to. So I thought hmm. that was a pretty big one. I was like, yes, like cuz probably in everybody's home like you kind of have to either designate somebody like in my house I sort of in the one that like tries to get the pictures for everyone and at least, at least put them in my library so we have them in one place. Um, but it would be great. It's, and I look forward to it. Now, of course, you know, the world I live in my day job, Cote, is migration. So my immediate thing was like, huh, I've only got probably like 10,000 photos, which I think is fairly small by like photo library standards, or at least it's kind of in the middle. Um, but I was wondering, some people with like hundreds of thousands of, of 
photos like are you going to basically be able to migrate them into the family photo album without like destroying Oof. like all your your work and all your uh if you will stars and your hearts and you know all of that together so family photo you, album you, if, i have if, on my if list. I can it's interject, a great one but I, we'll see mm-hmm. th- th- this makes me think I'm going to have to think about like the, uh, you know, the series of like meetings and presentations, but I think that Apple should acquire Flickr and, and there's two reasons. <laughs> One, Apple. because, yeah. well, I, I think Flickr is in some other weird PE oh, firm it's, it's thing at the moment, or something, right? Yeah. But like Flickr has like, just thinking about myself, Flickr has so many photos from me. Like it basically has all of my photos except for the past two years, maybe. Right. Uh huh. And I think also the model that Flickr uses to like share photos among friends and family and other stuff is actually really good, right? The problem with Flickr always was that uh, not enough people used it. Only nerds used it, right? And so, but it, it is like their whole thinking about what you would do and how you would share photos works really well, right? So they have a model that I think would work for here's how people want to like share that experience now the other thing is that because they are so old thinking about myself they have so many photos in there right so so many and so if you are looking for just like some raw data to feed into your machine learning stuff and also those photos often have titles and tags geolocation information so you could just just like you could stick that into your big like uh like have you seen um the uh What's the show like the the Patriot guy on HBO with the uh, John Cena? What's that guy's name? Uh-huh. Anyways, like there's know. that gigantic like beast that they get all the 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 like fluid from the aliens. That's kind right. of what Flickr is. They have like all this data information, and like all the Apple AI people could go there and be like, "That's a gigantic beast that we could just suck information from." Right. So I think Flickr is a natural acquisition for Apple, which would be fantastic All right, well, because my current, more my current problem is that like <laughs> my my photos album in Apple is not at all synced to my Flickr album. And well, I, would no, I was like going to say this is uh, this is what you're, you're going to be your task when this comes out is I think you're going to have to download this uh, all those Flickr uh, photos. Oh, I've tried to share library. It's impossible. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, you done. So, no, all no. right. Well, listen, that was the family. Album. So those are my favorites, past keys and family photo albums. Um, and then I have the stuff I don't care about. That was mentioned one uh, lock screen on the lock screen. You can have like all these different widgets now and essentially like customize it to have different fonts and like things like that. I just don't care. Don't care at all about the lock screen. Never really uh, used uh, used it much or, or even thought about customizing it. It's fine. Time is fine with me. Tab groups, another one. Never used tab groups in mm, Safari. No. Don't care about them. Don't care that I can share tab groups. Don't want to. So that one comes out. And then watch faces. A bunch of new watch faces were uh, announced. I've already settled on what I think I'm on modular. That's what I'm using. I'm not switching. I don't care. So I didn't care about that. So all of those things I just put on the list. I'm, I just don't care about. Now, the the not sure categories, stuff that was like, at least I have on my list is one, they're going to have a new home app. I don't know if you've ever mm. used the Apple home app. It's just, I do weird. all the, every it's day. It's just kind of strange. Like you're swiping between rooms and it's kind of confusing. So, so yes, I like the fact there's going to be a new one. I have no idea if they'll implement it in a way that I actually care about. So that one we're going to wait and see. Now yep, this one yep. you're going to like Kote, cause especially for our streaming fans is they've introduced uh, what they're calling continuity camera, which is just uh, basically the cameo feature built in, right? So you can basically oh, nice. yes. take your, your iPhone, use it as a webcam or just a handheld. And, it, and it's just completely disconnected from your, um, from your uh, M2 Mac or, oh, or wireless. It, yeah, yeah wireless. And you can just oh, use okay. it either okay. as a webcam or you can just walk around with it. So that's pretty cool. I think that one, I'd be interested in, but I'd like to see, you know, like to see how it works. And then finally, window management. So uh, they they basically have this thing called Stage Manager, which lets you kind of group windows together and kind of like, if you will, put them right there in the desktop and kind of control how they they're displayed. So I don't know. Every time I see someone introduce these kinds of stuff, like I kind of go back to just doing it manually. So I I'll, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I like the idea. Though. I've been using this rectangle app. I've mentioned a few times on the show. And I kind of got my windows the way I wanted. So I'm open to something better, but like, I'm not sure stage manager was really what I wanted because they did uh, announce in addition to that is on the iPad pro 
or maybe all the iPads, they're going to basically have a windowing system. So maybe that's something for you. You're an iPad person, right? Where you can basically move windows around and having overlapping windows. So we'll see. We'll see if that comes up. And then final is they did uh, announce the MacBook Air M2. So the next chip, so it's faster, a little bit more RAM. So that was exciting. The biggest disappointment was that that still only supports one external monitor. I just feels like that feels unfair, right? Like why, why have I have the M2 MacBook Air? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Monitors? I don't yeah. like, it just feels yeah. like a weird limitation, right? They have this great computer that can like more, more computing horsepower than you probably ever need, but you can only do that. So that's I, I, it. That's I, I, the entire wrap up. I feel like on that last point, and this is totally nothing Apple would ever do. It's like against their whole like deal, which I understand. But I feel like if you have that kind of limitation, what you would say is, here's like a 20 euro dongle you can buy that makes it support unlimited monitors, right? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm sure the whole deal is like, I don't know, we have this like one micro wire we can move from like this nanometer to this other, other nanometer, but that will mean that it loses like 30 minutes of battery power and blah, blah, blah. And so we're not going to do it. And some product manager is like, all right, one external monitor, let's do it. On the other hand, right, they could be like, I don't know, like, what if you could just plug in like a USB-C thing and like it supports unlimited monitors? And yeah. so like, and like also we won't charge like a whole bunch of money for it. Or you know what? We'll charge 120 euros for it. And everyone would be know. like, this oh, totally cool. A, I, I get the whole like, hey, if you want to make more money and like, and then maybe the biggest thing is like, well, they just, they think this limitation is only people who are kind of support deciding between a MacBook uh pro or a macbook air right and it's like maybe that's what's going on there they're like we want to force you to pay the extra five six hundred dollars for the macbook pro but i don't know it's just like it's just a very arbitrary limitation for such a powerful computer and it's just i'm I'm gonna throw out so i'm gonna throw out another acquisition suggestion so first of all my high priority is that apple needs to acquire Flickr so that i don't have to worry about (laughs) merging my photos right number one my my number two priority is they should just acquire dell so they can get the people who are like, that's fucking bullshit, right? Like, you because know, I feel like, like I've worked with some of them in the past, like the Dell, like uh, laptop people. And I think their response to this one monitor thing would be like, no, try harder. Like, yeah. I, I think that's kind of what they would say, right? It's just like, I get it. Like, I dress really nicely. Do you see this belt I'm wearing? It's a Hermes belt. <laughs> like, I like shit. Right. I'm not like some cheap ass person who happens to live in Round Rock. Right. Like I, I, I like things. And like your problem is you should just try harder. Right. And yeah. like you can make it happen. And so like I think if they acquired Dell, it would totally be cool. That would that would be like yeah, the perfect I, PC manufacturer. I, I'm waiting. Someone's going to find out why. Like I just I, at the end of the day, there has to be a reason. And if it's we want to make more money, I'll accept that. But I just, I just think it's weird. It's just strange thing. And so maybe a final question here to wrap up. It's not so much uh, um, Apple specific related to uh, the developer conference, but there was a um, a ruling that said the EU reaches deal to make USB-C a common charger for most electronic devices. So, Kote, uh, as sort of like you know the stand-in of the Apple VP of cables person. Right. This is mostly going to affect you and the lightning cable. So my question, mm-hmm. are you for or against this? And as was discussed in the Slack, will this ultimately end up in Apple doing something that just annoys everyone in the EU by shipping like a weird adapter cable with a lightning cable? So you're kind of just stuck with both um, going forward. Like, where do you come down on this as the, the VP of cables person? So, so here's my confidential meeting. With the uh, the ELT, the executive leadership team at at Apple, as the uh, uh, Apple's VP of cables, I say, well, everyone, we actually have always wanted this. Now <laughs> okay. we we All make right. we make about uh, I don't know three hundred million dollars a year on Lightning cable licenses. However, <laughs> we know that we spend, according to the charts that I've just made, in numbers. I don't use Excel anymore. I use numbers in this chart that I've made in numbers that we actually spend above that $300 million a year just flying people around to deal with lightning cables. And right. so we have always wanted USB-C cables. However, we have this strong, as they say, cult of Mac, who is all into like what we have. They're always against us for like switching cables around. So we've always feared that if we switch the cables yet again, 
they will just say Apple wants to make money. And what we have here is a get out of jail free card. We can say, we didn't want to do this. It was going to be terrible. But now we have to because, you know, it's not like we're going to do something. We're not going to um, damage the Apple brand. We're not going to make Johnny Ives turn over in his grave, even though he's not (laughs) dead yet. Turn over in his back to tank or whatever, like by shipping some like crazy dongle, which would also cost a tremendous amount of money to handle. As you know, Tim, the logistics of like if we ship it to this country, we put this dongle in versus if we ship it to that country, we don't put the dongle in. And then how do we guarantee that we don't get the the dongle list package going over to Rotterdam versus this, that and the other, right? Like that's going to cost a lot of money. So this is a gift. We all want USB-C. We all want one cable. And now it's not our fault. We can just be like, I don't know, man. We had to do it. And it will save yeah. us a tremendous amount And it is also the best thing to do. So really, that is why I would really like to, you to approve my 20,000 euro dinner that I had last night with the commissioner <laughs> of the EU. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. I'm a little worried that this will end up like uh, the cookie pop-ups, right? Where it's like, you know, there are some good ideas behind GDPR, but everyone clicking on cookie pop-ups was not what we wanted. So no, no, I'm, he, I'm worried. You, you know, I'm worried I, 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 I think, I think, I, you know, I think that a lot of people uh, are, are, as we like to joke, our friend, Stratechery uh, uh, guy, like uh, uh-huh. Ben Thompson, and and then they have a lot to say against GDPR, but I feel like, like. It's more about the people who implemented it. Like, they weren't really in the spirit of it. Like, the spirit of GDPR was like, don't do evil shit. And so all the people around it were like, oh, hold my beer. And they just, like, continued to do it. So it's sort of like, yeah, but you sort of, like, missed the point, right? Is that, like, we want you to say, oh, can I take all your data? Click yes if you would like to exist, right? (laughs) Like, it's just like... I don't know. And it's, just sort, of, it's, it's sort of the same no, thing. No, no, I'm with you. Like, and I, but I think you're right. It's, it's ultimately the people that implement it. And, and so I guess, you know, ultimately Apple will have this decision in the road. Like what the EU is, wants them to do is just to change the Lightning port to be USB-C on Apple, which we've seen. It's absolutely. already an IP. Bad pros. So it could happen. It's fantastic. Now, of course, whether, it's great. whether or not Apple does that and they, or if they choose to ship the adapter, right? You know, that, that's kind of the moment, right? It's like, like I almost have that, that question. I'd be like, okay. If we're going to, if I was EOS, if we make you do this, Apple, before we put this in the law, I want you to tell me how you're going to solve this solution. And if they're going to solve it with an adapter, I'd be exactly. like, oh, wait a minute. We're going to like, and, and we're going to rethink this, we're going to rethink this regulation before it goes into effect. Yeah. And, and, and so, as we like to say, if any EU people like at the, at, at the, uh, the want to like hire us, we are happy to consult about that because we can That's solve right, your absolutely. problems. We could, we should come in there. So, so Brandon. Any bureaucracy? Yeah, I was going to say we have a, a bunch of it this week. I'll try to get through it quickly. Um, but a, a bunch of people emailed for stickers, so I really appreciate it. So I sent stickers to Evan in Massachusetts, Andy in Colorado, Matt in Bozeman, Montana. I don't, not totally sure how to say this. I think Akvam in Israel, and then Steve mm. in Pflugerville. He got a new bike, Kote, so he wanted some stickers for his bike. Oh, very nice. And then also sent some stickers to Dan. He just found the sh- show a few weeks ago. And he's happy to represent the pod, which I, I really appreciate. Um, Brett recommends a coding tutorial about how to build games. So that's in the show notes. Wanted you to see that. And then Jordan emailed us. He's going to be at the uh, DevOps Day LA. So he wants everyone to uh, go check that out and to use his discount code. Uh, it's just D-E-V-O-P, DevOps. So you should check out that one as well. And then finally, I don't know, in this time of uncertainty, I'm not sure if we're either uh, all looking for jobs or we all have jobs. But nonetheless, here's some things that showed up in the Slack. Uh, Tim wants you to work at uh, Biogen as a global DevOps lead. Maybe you can uh, make sure when you interview, ask them if they're using source control before you take the job. That's my recommendation. <laughs> uh, there's a job <laughs> at Walmart for a principal software engineer uh, working on the Linux kernel in Sunnyvale. Like, what? I just want to know why. Like, what is going on at Walmart that they're working on the Linux ter- kernel? Um, just I, someone interview just to tell me what's what, what's going on there. I would love to hear this story. Ryan wants you to work at Datadog as the vice president of events and field marketing. Good time to get that job. Mm. Events and field marketing are back. So, uh, you know, go check that out. Johnson & Johnson is hiring a senior algorithm analytics engineer in Redwood City, California. I guess it works on robots and medical devices. Sounds cool. And then finally, good friend Jordy, he pointed out that the New York Times is uh, hiring a staff sergeant 
so- staff software engineer working on the CICD platform. Again, I think we can assume the New York Times would be using source control, but if not, let us know. That would be uh, be sure to concerning. ask. So, I, I, I think I yeah. think that is the major takeaway for the job section of this podcast <laughs> is if you are applying for a job, ask them what their source control strategy is, and uh, yeah, just absolutely. just lean back and listen to the response. And yeah, uh, and if you want information else. on any of those jobs, most of them were posted in the Software Defined Talk Slack in the job channel, not surprisingly. So you can probably go in there and ask anyone that posts those jobs to get more details. Also, you could also go to uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 362 to find that listing that Brandon just went over. And you could find the additional as well. There are many conferences going on. At the end of June here, the 20th to 21st, I think there is the uh, FinOpsX where Matt will be, who is not on this episode. That's in Austin, right? If I remember? Yes, it is. I believe so. There you go. So you could go there, have some delicious things. And I'll, I want to highlight, at, also at the end of the month, June 22nd, we have uh, a conference that I spend a lot of time on, DevOps Loop. It's the second year that we've been doing it. We've got a fantastic lineup of speakers. I've spent a lot of time uh, talking with many of them, thinking about the talks they're going to give. And what we're going to be talking about at DevOps Loop is what's up with developers in DevOps and some other topics as always. But like, I think you should really register for it, kind of uh, uh, like tune into it. It's totally free. Why wouldn't you do it? I'm telling you, it's going to be great content, so you should see it. And there's also the Open Source uh, Summit of North America. As Brandon mentioned, DevOps uh, Days uh, LA. And there's that conference in Wisconsin at the end of July. And we have uh, VMware Explore, which is VMworld. They renamed it. It's the end of August. And uh, Spring One Platform in December, which you should uh, come check out as well. And then that conference, Texas, uh, is going to be in uh, January 2023. I should go apply for that. It would be nice to uh, show yeah, yeah. for uh, Ca- Call for uh, counselors, call for presentations open on that one. But definitely go. If you're interested in any of those conferences, go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 362, and you can uh, check them out. Absolutely go to DevOps Loop. Register for that. It'll be fun. So with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Well, I thought uh, in the spirit of uh, Apple's uh, Worldwide Developer Conference, I would make an Apple recommendation. So mine is uh, pretty old here. So I'm going to recommend the Apple Watch SE, so kind of the the lowest, if you will, uh, entry-level Apple Watch. But I'm going to recommend it for uh, tweens. So my son, you know, he's uh, officially, what is he, 11? And he asked if he could get an Apple Watch, and I think we were all hesitant if that would be a good decision. But I would actually say it turned out to be a huge uh, Boone, I got the cellular one. So now I can like see where mm-hmm. he is on find my friends and we can nice. text. And uh, it's really been helpful for the whole family. And it's also kind of given him a chance to show some responsibility for technology. And then my wife as kind of a, a quick aside here. She's a middle school counselor and, you know, she sees a lot of the negative side of, you know, technology. And I think the thing I like about the watch is it doesn't have a camera and it's doesn't really, you know, it's not really open to do like social like Instagram and stuff mm. like that. So like the watch is sort of like, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, it's just a telephone text message and a few other things that are, that aren't that distracting. So I think it's been, I, you know, well, I have to ask Matt Ray, cause he's a little, he's a little ahead of us. He's got a couple of kids uh, that have maybe gone through this progression. Uh, so next week we'll get his take, but I think the, the watch has been a real nice entry level into technology. And then hopefully it holds off on, uh, him demanding a cell phone till you know maybe high school. We'll, we'll see how long we can hold off on that. So, so if you have a tween and you're like not sure, I would say start them off with the Apple Watch if that's something you're considering. Huh? That's I've never thought of that, but I, I, what you outlined makes a lot of sense. Now, the other benefit I would like tell me if this. Uh, uh, well, I think we've discussed this before. Is I don't think my children have a sense of time, and so I feel like maybe <laughs> if they had a watch, they would understand that five minutes is five minutes. Like they would get that, but maybe not. I don't Absolutely. Know. We'll see. Absolutely. So my recommendation is an episode of the, uh, the long form podcast, which is a great podcast. If you're interested in um, writing and sort of like, mm, well, I mean, it's basically about writing, but it's more about like a liberal arts notion of how do you do the work of putting together an idea and talking about it or writing it. And the episode they had, I, I think this week, is with, help me out here, Brandon. Is it Matt Levine or Matt Levine? Matt Levine. 
So the episode they have is an interview with Matt Levine, and he does lots of interviews. But this one was, it was good because the point of the long-form podcast is to talk about the craft of what someone does. So there's a lot of questions about, like, what's it like to write four or five columns a week? How do you do that? How do you put these th- this thinking together? How did you come to that job? Like, there's a lot of questions about the techniques of it. But the best part is that, like, Matt Levine's voice is like fantastic it's so like soothing and comforting and here let me try he's just like right up on the microphone (laughs) with the bass and the baritone like and so he's got that kind of voice where just like anything he says he could be telling you like what the weather report is and uh it's very comforting to listen to so you should check that out it's it's a great interview of one of uh this podcast like favorite authors out there and with that as always This has been the Software Defined Talk podcast. If you're interested in getting the show notes for this episode, you can go to the Software Defined... Well, not the... We should uh, register that domain name, Brandon. The Software Defined Talk. We just got everything straightened out with the... uh, That's true. That's true. Let's not add any more for a while. Here here is a unsolicited or unpaid for advertisement. Namecheap.com. Great domain name, people. Very easy to deal with. But anyhow... If you're interested in that, you should go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 362. You can find the show notes that we've talked about, links to things we've recommended. You could also just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and join our Slack channels, check out past episodes, whatever you like. Print it out, send it to your uh, maybe a father you might have as a Father's Day gift, which is coming up. That's fine. Also works. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Do y'all have air fryers over there? Oh, absolutely. Yes, we do. Oh, they are the best. Air fryers are like the toasters of the uh, the 2000s. They are just like a fantastic innovation. You got to look into those. They are... Uh... Yeah. Well, you know, a lot I, of people I mean... are against... A lot of people immediately will tell you, it's like, you know, it's just the same as a convection oven. And it's like, I do, but it's just the fact that it's mm. smaller and faster. No. Like it doesn't... No. I know when I say that out loud to someone that doesn't oh. hasn't used it, you're like, it makes a huge difference. I I mean, the equivalent of that is that, like, you know what? I could make coffee by chopping down a bunch of wood, starting a fire, putting a cast iron skillet with water on that fire, pouring coffee grounds into it, and I could drink that. And we could call that cowboy coffee, or I could go to fucking Starbucks and get a coffee, (laughs) right? Like, like, what are we talking about here? Like, yeah. Hmm. Air fryers. I'll just tell you that. Like, would you, would you, um, I don't know because there's like a, there's like another side of it. People are always like too many kitchen gadgets. Like they're not Ugh, they're not yeah, useful. Yeah. Blah blah blah. You shouldn't have so many. And it's like that's why when you when you encounter somebody, that's how you can know what their position is when they tell you. When the first thing is like, did you know it's just a convection oven and it does exactly the same? It's like, yep, I do know that, but it's still a lot better. It's, and why is it better? Because it's just a lot faster. I know yeah, it doesn't seem yeah. like that's important, but like when you're waiting on your uh, reheating your meat because I think that's the best, or making your French fries or anything oh, else, the or French making some tots. So good. And yep, it's like, yep. it's a lot better. And it would take me like maybe twice as long with my convection oven. And then I'm, I'm never feel like it ever gets hot. I'm always like, is it hot? Open it up. Gets cold again. But you know, I'm always like, I don't know. Is it working? I, I, feel, I feel like there's a metaphor here for like uh, software development stacks. Like it's very, <laughs> very connected about. I, I think the air fryer is a platform as a service. And the convection oven is like Kubernetes.